welcome to the Life Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church based in North Dallas with a desire to help people love God, love people, and make a difference. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. It's been an incredible week here at the Life Church, and we've spent the past week working through some of the supporting narratives of the Easter story, working through some of the lesser known stories related to our Savior's march to the cross. We started on Palm Sunday with Mary of Bethany breaking her alabaster box. Of course, the palm branches being waved, time of worship. Then on Monday, we proceeded and focused on Judas and many of us didn't like it but we were able to see ourselves in Judas then Pilate and and the scapegoat on Wednesday night and on Friday it was the soldiers it was the thieves on the cross and it was the crowd additionally the untold story of several of our church Members has been shared via video and our hope is that you've been inspired and that you've been encouraged by all of them. Would you give all of our preachers and all of our uh, storytellers a good round of applause right now? So today for this final message in our Passion Week series, I wanna go back to the beginning. I wanna go back all the way to the oldest prophecy recorded in scripture predicting the day that Jesus would come this utterance that I'm referring to and that we'll read in just a moment came forth in a time of defeat Eve had just eaten of that forbidden fruit and she had convinced Adam to partake of it as well as a result of this transgression the Bible says that their eyes were opened subsequently they were filled with shame they were filled with fear because of what they had done due to their disobedience it brought in guilt you see God told them gave them one 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 thing to abide by one rule to observe Don't eat of that tree because if you eat of that particular tree, then surely you will die. But in that moment, after they had disobeyed, after they had transgressed, before God addressed the tempted, he first addressed the tempter. The first that he spoke to was the enemy of our soul. The Bible tells us that he had disguised himself as a serpent. And when he did, not only did he curse the serpent to crawl on its belly and to eat dust for the rest of its life, but he also proclaimed that there was coming a day when a woman would give birth to a son who would bring ultimate punishment to that serpent. We can read about it in Genesis chapter three, verse number 15, here's what it says. And I will put enmity between you and the woman 
talking about the serpent and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. I wonder today, does anybody know that there's a huge difference between having a bruised head and a bruised heel? But the wait was long. But God indeed followed through on his promise and Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was born some 2,000 years ago. And it's recorded in the second sentence of 1 John 3 and 8 that Jesus came in response to that original proclamation when Jesus said these words, for this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. For this purpose, this is why Jesus came. There was a promise that was given. There was a prophecy that went forth and Jesus was gonna make sure to see it through. So church, last Sunday was Palm Sunday. That marked Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And of course, today is Resurrection Sunday. So we go from high on one Sunday, from a, from a high place on one Sunday to an even higher high on the next Sunday. But listen, we cannot ignore what happened in the time between these two days. Judas betrayed. Trumped up charges were levied against an innocent man. The crowds chanted, crucify him. Pilate chose to wash his hands of him. Barabbas, the rebel, was released. Roman soldiers beat and stripped and humiliated Jesus. Then it all culminated with his crucifixion on a crude cross. And church, there's many ways to view the cross. Throughout history, you can see different ways to, to behold and observe different perspectives to view the cross from. One of the ways that you can view the cross is you can view it simply as a tool of ransom because Satan had taken mankind hostage. Jesus paid the price on Calvary to redeem us and to ransom us from Satan's hold. There's another view of the cross and that, that, that view is to, to view it as an implement to satisfy. Truly, Jesus suffered to satisfy God's holy wrath against sin. So that is a way you can view it, that it was to ransom, that it was to satisfy. But I also know that there is a third way that we can view the cross today. And that is considered to be the classic view of the cross. And it doesn't espouse that Jesus was crucified for ransom, that he was killed for the sake of satisfaction, but it, it puts forth this, that Jesus was crucified to purchase our victory. This view says that Jesus came, the reason Jesus came was to defeat the devil once and for all. The reason that he came was to slay the serpent, to vanquish the darkness, and to overcome evil with love. Oh, hallelujah. You see, church, after the fall of man 
in the garden, Satan was called the prince of this world. In 1 John 5, 19, I'm not gonna read it, but John said that the whole world was under the power of the evil one. Paul, here's what Paul called Satan. He called Satan the God of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. So Jesus' entrance into this world was for the purpose of taking back the world that Satan had seized from him. Think about this. Each miracle that Jesus performed, each deliverance, that Jesus directed. Every life that he liberated diminished Satan's hold on this world. Every act of the Lord pushed back on the enemy's territory and began to remove the strongholds from off of our lives. In the first message preached to the Gentiles, the apostle Peter summarized the life of Jesus by saying this in Acts chapter 10, verse 38. It says that he went about doing good and he went about healing all who were what? Who were oppressed by the devil. So church with each healing, with each deliverance, it had the same message, and that was this. Satan's dominion was leaving, and God's kingdom was coming. We read it just a few minutes earlier, but John said that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to destroy the power, the one who had power, the power of death in his hands. He came to put all of his enemies under his feet. Yes, the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to, to destroy, but Jesus came not only to return what was stolen and to resurrect what was killed, but he also so came to destroy the destroyer. Oh, hallelujah. This is how the apostle Paul said it in Colossians 2.15. Jesus disarmed principalities and powers and he made them a public spectacle, triumphing over them in it. It goes all the way back to that very first prophecy of the Messiah that he was coming and not just he was coming to redeem, but he was coming to crush the serpent's head. The first sermon preached in the New Testament showed the Lord making our enemies a footstool. Listen, church, we're, 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 we're not the tail. We're the head. The Lord makes our enemies his footstool. In fact, Simon Peter quoted Psalm 110 and 1 where we see that the right hand of the Lord subdued the enemies beneath our feet. And then later, Paul, when he was summarizing Jesus' ministry at the end of the book of Acts, he said that Jesus' ministry was to open the eyes of the Gentiles. It was to move them from darkness into the light. It was to move them from the power of Satan unto God and to provide the forgiveness of sins. So today I wonder, how do you view the cross? When you visualize it situated on Calvary's hill, how do you see the cross? 
Yes, you can see it as an emblem of ransom because this is what Jesus said of his own life in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. He said, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So you can see it as a, as a tool of ransom, but you can also see it as a symbol of satisfaction, which indeed it, it, he did it. He satisfied the need for our sins once and for all. Oh, but I want you to know today that it's so much more than that. It's also a monument of victory. The cross is also a monument of victory. When you see the cross, you should see victory. Because it can also be seen as a sheathed sword. A sheathed sword. And if you don't see it yet, just, just follow me for a moment. The Bible tells us that in the Garden of Gethsemane, the writer Luke informed us that Jesus and his disciples, they had, they had two swords amongst them. We know that Simon Peter had one of the swords, right? Because he unsheathed that sword and he used it to sever Malchus's ear from his skull. But where was the other sword? Who had the second one? To be clear, church, scripture doesn't say. But in a sense, Jesus had access to the most powerful sword of all. Because all he had to do was whisper the word. And just all he had to do was begin to speak and 12 legions of angels would have appeared with swords drawn and sharpened and ready to go. And even though he could have, he didn't. Again, church, let me ask you today, how do you view the cross? This sword was given to me by Daryl Frost. I'm gonna be very careful with it today. Not gonna get close to anybody, especially if your name is Malchus. But at the end of a battle, in times of the Old Testament, times of war when they used swords for battle, conquering kings would be known to take their sword and when they've won that final battle, that final victory, they would plant that sword in the ground. Signifying that they had taken the territory. They're staking their claim. They proclaimed victory. So today, maybe you need to view the cross as the sword of a conquering king that he chose to bury in the earth. After all, Jesus' final words on the cross were not words of defeat, but his final words on the cross were words of triumph when he declared, it is finished. I have conquered.
So know today we don't need to merely view Jesus as the suffering lamb, but we need to see him as the conquering king and he conquered death, hell, and the grave without ever even having to brandish a sword. Oh, somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise. He won without ever having to brandish his sword. How so you may say, think about it, church. It appeared that Satan had won, right? After all, he engineered the entire scheme that we've been talking about in this Passion Week leading up till today. In Luke 23, and excuse me, 22 and verse three, it says that Satan entered Judas. He was behind it. He was involved. He entered Judas and he caused Judas to betray Jesus. Next, we see Satan blinded the hearts of those who judged Jesus. He, he blinded them to the truth. And, and then we see him working in that crowd and stirring up those who shouted, crucify him, who just a few days later were waving palm branches to him and worshiping him. Yes, hell probably rejoiced on that day when Jesus was on the cross. It looked like he was gonna be victorious, yet it's a paradox. It's an interesting paradox because God's specialty is taking what looks bad and transforming it into something that is altogether good. Likewise, church, what looked like defeat at Calvary was just victory in disguise. Hear me today, the devil couldn't defeat Jesus in his life and he couldn't defeat Jesus in his death, but for a while. Oh, hallelujah. But for a while, it looked like Satan had won. Then somehow what the enemy meant for evil God wrestled away from him and he made it work for good. You see, on that day when the crowds were shouting, crucify him, Jesus was winning even though it didn't look like he was. On that day when he was tortured and he was forced to carry that old rugged cross, he wasn't losing, he was winning. On that day when people mocked him and spit upon him, he was winning. On that day when they shouted, he saved others, but himself he cannot save. He was still winning. On that day when everyone turned away from the cross, leaving Jesus for dead, he was winning. Yes, even though it didn't look like it to the disciples, and even though it didn't look like it to the Pharisees, and even though all of hell was rejoicing and the devil was exalted, Jesus was winning. He had planted his sword in the ground. He was winning. I wonder if there's any of you who've ever been around when a snake was killed. You ever, you ever seen a snake be killed before? If you want to kill a snake, you know what you go for? You go for the head. There's a story told by 
newly appointed missionaries that were sent to a jungle region. When they got to the home where they were supposed to live, they, they discovered once they got inside that uh, it was already inhabited by an enormous snake, longer than a man. This was in a jungle region and it was there in the kitchen. How's that for a housewarming gift? So obviously terrified, they took off running out of the house, making quite a commotion. And the neighbor heard what was going on. And so he came over with a machete. He came over with a machete and said, you know what? Just give me a couple minutes. He went in the house and he took care of business. A few minutes later, he emerged and he said, you know what? It's okay. The snake is dead. But then he added this, but it's going to take the snake a while to realize that it's dead. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? So what seemed like an eternity, the missionaries were waiting there outside of their house as this headless snake thrashed around incessantly inside of that kitchen. They could hear that snake smashing things and flailing against the walls until eventually its body understood that it no longer had a head. And as they stood there waiting for that defeated snake to realize that it had been defeated, the missionaries came to a remarkable understanding. They realized that Satan is a whole lot like that big old snake because he was defeated at Calvary. He just refuses to admit that he was defeated. And so you know what he does? He continues to thrash around. He continues to move around. He continues to try to wreak havoc, but he's a defeated foe. His fate has already been sealed. His head has already been bruised. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise right now. Oh, praise God. And the Lord did it without ever having to unsheath his sword. Hallelujah. He just planted it in the ground. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Friends, this provides us with an accurate picture of the day in which we live. We live between the first and the second comings of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let, let me say it like this. Satan is defeated, but he's still thrashing around. He's still wrecking havoc. And because of that, we live in a season characterized by immense pain. We live in a season where there's conflict and confusion everywhere, but I've got good news today, and that's that it's not going to last forever because Jesus crushed the serpent's head at Calvary, and Jesus is alive and victorious forevermore. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah.
For three days, Satan rejoiced. But all the while, Jesus was busy working. Between the cross and the resurrection, on those three days when it appeared that Jesus was forever dead, something was happening. He was taking captivity captive. In those three days, he was spoiling the plans of the enemy. In those three days, he was seizing and taking hold of the keys of hell and the grave. Jesus marched right up into Satan's stronghold and he bound the strong man and he did it with his sword still sheathed and stuck in the ground. Listen, church, when Jesus stepped out of that tomb 2,000 years ago, he forever raised the banner of victory over each and every satanic attack that comes against his people. And because of that, hear me today, your life was not meant to be a story of despair. Your life was not meant to be a story of disappointment. Yes, sometimes we're laid low, but just like Jesus, we need to get back up again. Come on, we need to get back up again. That's the power of the resurrection. That you fall down, you get back up. You mess up, you make a mistake, you get back up and let resurrection power work in you. You see, we live on the side of victory. In this life and in the life to come, we have victory. And it's in that great resurrection chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 15, that we read death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? And then in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, we read this, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Is anybody grateful for that today? Would you stand with me right now? Because Jesus was victorious, we can be victorious. Because he took the territory of our lives, we don't have to be subject to sin any longer. But we can be victorious. China's Mao Zedong destroyed all of the Christian libraries in China in the mid-20th century. Then towards the end of his life, that leader, that ruler declared, Christianity is dead in China. That's what he said. He's documented. But can I tell you that today, there are millions of apostolic believers in China. As a matter of fact, it's believed to be the fastest growing revival field in the world. Because what the enemy calls dead, you know what we call it? We call it a resurrection waiting to happen. And what the enemy calls defeat, we call a victory that is on its way. And because he was victorious, we can be victorious. So in this Easter Sunday, I want you to know today, this morning, that whatever Jesus conquered, 
so can you. Whatever he triumphed over, so can you. Whatever ways that he was tempted in and withstood, so can you. Because his victory on the cross, because his victory on the cross is your victory as well. His story is your story. So whatever the enemy is trying to do in your life, I want you to know that Jesus came to destroy the, or the work of the enemy. During this week, we've heard some untold stories and others have shared drug addiction and suicide. I was alone. I had a brain tumor. I was addicted to drugs. I felt unloved. I was hurt by family and childhood church. I had kidney disease, drug addiction and homelessness. I was addicted to pornography. Here's what Jesus does. He turns it around. Because his victory is your victory. There's people here today who have a lifetime addiction of sin that has been broken. There's people who are lonely, who now they have fellowship like never before. There's people who are addicted to pornography, who have been liberated and who have been freed. There have been people who are sick in their body, who have been healed and made whole because his victory is their victory. Oh, hallelujah. I've got a wall full of evidence today supporting that whatever your story is, our God is able to take care of it. Whatever the enemy is doing in your life, our God is able to destroy that enemy today. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you were inspired by today's sermon. Connect with the Life Church through our website, tlcdallas.com, and on Facebook and Instagram at TLC Dallas. Remember, together we can love God, love people, and make a difference. God bless.